This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Jim. Hello, I'm Marissa. I'm Brian. And I'm Julie of 19 Nocturne Boulevard. What What's the uh, website address for 19 Nocturne Boulevard? It's been a while since <laughs> I actually typed it in. It's 19nocturneboulevard at uh, dot net. Dot net, uh, okay. Or dot org. And uh, though we've been on hiatus for a while, we're slowly working our way back. But that site is still pretty static. So check us out on Facebook. So uh, I'm always happy to get Julie on the show. It's very hard. She's busy. Um, she's usually uh, time traveling. Um, Something like that. <laughs> staying up too late at night, I think, as well. Um, we're going to talk about The Shadow Out of Time, a, a novella-ish, yeah, novella, from um, Astounding Stories, June 1936, uh, written in 34, 35. Uh, I've read the comics before and I hadn't read the actual novella before, but um, it's a little bit different from the adaptations. But uh, I'm struck, stricken, strucken by how it is kind of a, um, I don't know, the center point for everything H.P. Lovecraft writes. Only thing that he really doesn't cover in here are cats and poetry. And I, I guess we got a little poetry from Mr. Jim Moon um, that's related. But other than that, this has everything that H.P. Lovecraft's interested in. You guys notice that? This is a very cannibalism. central... Is it, is it cannibalism or is it just obsession? Eh, cannibalism is a, is a very recurring theme. Oh, 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 you mean uh, he, he, there's no cannibalism in it? I thought, I thought you were right. saying he's cannibalizing his own writings. Uh, no, no, no. I was just uh, saying there isn't any. If you're talking about themes, sorry. Yes, no, you're right. Okay, there. Yeah. Well, that. How big a theme is that in? I guess it's in. Uh, four or five different stories, at least. It's in a couple. Uh, yeah. Um, well, it's the dream quest of unknown political economy. <laughs> 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 um, well, the, the, these are Trantorians as well, right? This is uh, Isaac Asimov, oh. isn't it? Yeah, but it's it's not it's uh, I wasn't going to say Asimov. I was going to say Stapleton. It's a bit Stapleton. Um, it's very Stapletonian with its uh, it's 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 immense breadth of time and this race that's trying to keep going forward and forward in time, avoiding disaster again and again, to try to see understand the whole of uh, reality. It's also very Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah. They, it's, they, it's 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 also very uh, Albert Finney. Albert Finney, how so? Uh, as far as you know, someone projecting into a different life in a different time. I, I'm I'm not catching the reference. Am I am I getting the um? Maybe it's not, isn't it's, Albert it's, Finney an author or uh, actor? Albert Finney is okay. an actor. Oh, 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 Jack, oh, Jack Finney. Jack Finney. Finney. Aha. Jack, Finney. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yes, Jack. It's very yeah. Jack Finney. Mm. Well, these are the original body snatchers. Yes, they are. Yeah, 
It's also a little bit um, altered carbon with the <laughs> them walking around in sleeves. You're right. <laughs> They're not so much yes. They're not so much body snatchers as they are sort of uh, you know body um, you know Airbnbs. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so this is the this is the Uber economy. This is the the first kind of the. <laughs> they do have a kind of. It's interesting that he is an economist um, to start with. Uh, and 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 one of the adaptations in the HPLHS adaptation, I believe one of the things they change is they don't turn him back into a psychology a psychology professor when he you know goes back to school. Um, they just keep him as an economist, and I think that's because. Of the storytelling method there, they've got him basically talking to a psychologist rather than writing all these things down in his journal. But uh, it's—I it, think it's very interesting that he's an economist because it, it at first it doesn't seem to have any bearing on the story. Um, but it does feel like uh, the foundation series of ideas, you know, from Isaac Asimov. They've got well, it. It does bear um, in a couple of ways, because the uh, the fellow that he's quoting when he's interrupted, when he gets alien Airbnb, um, <laughs> is uh, is a significant economist, uh, Jevons. Um, in part, he quotes Jevons' most notorious theory, which is connecting economic cycles with sunspots. Right. Which is pretty funny, but... That's not inappropriate for a story about cosmic horror and the connections between the vast universal powers and individual lives. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense. Uh, I mean, today he's best known for the Jevons paradox, which is a pretty good one, which is that uh, it's a very cynical idea that the more efficient something becomes, the more we use it. You know, you'd think kind of rationally, if something becomes more efficient, we would use less of it because it's more efficient. But actually, the more efficient something becomes, the more our demand grows, hmm. which is a dark insight into human nature. Um, but he was uh, he was known for a lot of uh, grim and dark theories, including the idea that uh, Britain was running out of coal. Um, so, I mean, he's. If I was going to go for a for a scary economist, I'd go for Malthus um, myself. Um, but Jevons is not bad, not bad. It doesn't seem to be that they have uh, the Yithians, anyways. Don't seem to have a po overpopulation problem. Um, no, because eugenics. Yeah, yeah, very. It, it's it's very interesting. I, is it in the book? I can't I can't tell which if it's an adaptation of the one of the three comics or one of the. The no, uh, from the novel itself, or if it's in the audio drama, does it mention the word fascism? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the yep. story. The right. uh, political economic system of each unit was a sort of fascistic socialism. There we go. So it, it, the, the, that whole sequence of the story reminded me a lot of The Mound, which is, again, mm -hmm. an under, under sort of underground utopia, I guess. <laughs> Of a certain kind, very, very like he doesn't seem to be as upset about the uh, uh, the right things as he should be. He's, he seems to be more upset about personally looking at his body and uh, you know being traumatized by the wrong things. But uh, the fact that the society is you know practicing eugenics um, and you know execution is one of the punishments 
And it, it, it felt like uh, Lovecraft's version of a utopia story as well. Well, people live alongside. <clears throat> Sorry, in some ways it is in because I mean it is focused so entirely on intellectual pursuit mm-hmm. of one sort or another. I mean they've basically I mean he points out very clearly that they don't really do anything like eat or sleep or have sex or anything. Right. So they, they do have sex, sex, but they're not really involved in it, right? It's sort of, sort of I'm gonna lay it's, some seeds down in the waters here and then We'll cultivate yeah. the and any deformations; those will get executed. But it doesn't matter because they're not really us, sort of things, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah we wouldn't notice anyway, you know. And they, but they don't do anything like they don't. None of that distracts them from their pursuit of intellectual things for the most. Right. Part. Yeah, and for anything, that. and for any physical labor, they've got the the presumably the something something to serve them. In machines. Yeah. Yeah, machines. Yeah. yeah, they're like, um, there's no like sex, rock and roll, drugs. They're, they're literally like, they're like nerds. Like they're like 100% like just studying they're, history. They're librarians, basically, right? Yeah. They're, yeah. Puritans. they're Puritans. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're also H.P. Lovecraft, right? It, it, the, this yeah. is the, this is the, the wonderfulness of owning a massive, uh, infinite library, right? It's almost uh, mm-hmm. Borgesian in its uh, in, in its vastness. I was thinking yeah. about I was, the universe, which some call the no wait the library, which some call the universe, right? Right. Yep. And uh, no. I have questions about this because what what ha- Okay, so th- presumably the Yithians have transported themselves into the bodies of the uh, of the beetle few, uh, people. Oh no, not the beetle people, the spider people. Uh, near Earth's end before. No, no, they... they go past the spider people. They go to the beetle people. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, okay, so they're in the beetle people, but they left their library behind. Yes. Did they like finally get like digital uh, copies made? Like they well, scanned or, or, everything? Or, 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 they, or they just I... started reconstructing it? I I get the feeling that they keep build, rebuilding libraries every time they go forward in time and. In, into a new body and new era because they can't physically transport any of it really. I was kind of thinking of a Fahrenheit 451 sort of thing where they'd each one would memorize a chunk of it and take it forward. Yeah, they okay, seem Jesse. to be capable of of See, this is why cloud learning. computing was invented. <laughs> really? I mean, Jeff it, Bezos, Yithian. Well, it really is so traveling so if you can travel in time, though, you can keep an eye on the location of the great library that uh, our narrator finds at the end still preserved and have people posted to the era. Just make sure no one builds on that particular spot and, right. yeah, just and move it. it as, you know, when necessary at certain points of history. So the physical location, if you can play around with time, yeah, you, but just, but you just move it when you need to. Otherwise, you can just seal it up, leave it for a few millennia. Jobs are good. And- yeah, you got yeah, make sure, though, you're writing on materials that will last that long, though. Well, presumably I mean, I, I, as well, yeah. They the might have actually picked the location as they looked at this spot's going to be untouched pretty much to the end of Earth's history. <laughs> we'll put the library here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but 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 what, when he finds his journal, his journal's not in a great state. And I, and I think, in fact, probably 
Mm. Lovecraft overstates it. I think that paper after 150 million years would have been dust <laughs> anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they do well, we copy have have... it now and then. I think he calls it uh, curiously tenacious um, cellulose fabric that they're writing on. <laughs> so, yeah, so maybe it's maybe it's not cellulose fabric. fabric. Maybe that's what the narrator understood to be. Maybe it's some sort ah, of yeah. weird weird material that the Yithians created that looks like it, but is far more du- far more durable. Well, it's it's a, it's really dynamic because you've got. I mean, like any any utopia always has the threat of disaster, and so you know these guys are projected into this world where you have the things under the trap doors, which mm-hmm. is what made me, that's what made me think more, not so much of nerds, so much as Puritans. Um, what was Mencken's definition of a Puritan? The, uh, the sense that someone somewhere else is having a good time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, they have to have the monster right there under their feet, which they can't even talk about or think about. Right. And that's uh, the one subject that's not not covered by the books. And, 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 and one day, yeah, one day they're going to come out. There's a old D and D back world of Greyhawk module where you have this wizard and he has his castle, has all this stuff, and at the bottom of the castle there's a adamantium stone over this doorway and the that blocks it and that doorway leads down to all, all the subterranean horrors of the drow and everything else underneath so he's basically but well, one day that doorway is going to open and everything's come flooding out so he's basically holding it all back even with all his powers he can't do anything to stop them he can just only stem the tide as long as he can so that's that's what the youth reminded me of here they they can't defeat the stuff down there they can just kind of hold it at bay knowing that it's eventually they're going to come boiling out and end their and that body's race and so they I then they can to go to the future in, in, in a way it's very allegorical for the you know the the putting down of the flesh and the subconscious and all mm. the dark desires and then you've got the the higher brain up above you know it's intellectual thing while it's completely subverting anything physical yep Absolutely, I want to. I want to point out some more of the strange other stories I, I see in here. So one of them is the outsider, right? That the whole point of the the yeah. reveal at the end of the outsider is he looks in a mirror and he sees his form, right? And how does the outsider begin, right? He begins. He doesn't know how he got where he is, but there's a library and there must have been someone to take care of him, and so he wanders around trying to get out. Uh, reading his books and thinking about the the outside world, and then he eventually does. But he, the horror of seeing your own body um, is so important to the what's what's so strange about this is this is a horror story, uh, but yeah. it shouldn't be. It feels like a a science fiction story with a you know wow that's interesting idea science fiction right, but. Uh, our our main character is he's horrified by everything he's discovered. Um, he should be more like fascinated, like well, that's some unfortunates. But what's interesting is the Yithians are 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 not at all any kind of evil, as far as I can tell. Sure, they're well, making... they do steal entire races. They don't. Entire s- yeah, I mean they do. They do, but Some they're animals, steals, right? Take over their bodies, or yeah, the... they, they, no, they go forward into a suitably intellectual race's bodies and drop them back at the site where their race is about to collapse. Right, and this is this is I think where the point we should probably talk about uh, dreams of Yith because I hope everybody got a chance to to read this poem. Uh, oh yes, I listened to it. Okay, good. Um, 
I, I need some help. <laughs> I really don't understand the poem. Um, I, I see the imagery and I really am impressed by what's going on, but I'm not sure if it's supposed to, is it set on Yith? Is that what we're, and are, are, so this is the, the poem, uh, written by Dwayne Rimmel and then re completely rewritten apparently by Lovecraft. Uh, so it's a collaborative poem. Um, it's mm -hmm. 10 parts and it, it basically has a series of images uh, of what I assume to be the original planet Yith. Anybody help me out here? <laughs> I think you're absolutely right because let's 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 read the first stanza. All right. For our listeners, in distant Yith past crusted ragged peaks on flung flung islands lost to worldly eyes, a shadow from the ancient star void seeks some being in which cavern shrilly cries. A challenge, and the hairy dweller speaks from that deep hole where slimy Sotho lies. But when those night winds crept about the place, they fled, for Sotho had no human face. So Sotho is not in uh, the Shadow Out of Time, as far as I can nope. tell. Um, and the hairy dweller is not uh, anybody I understand from the Shadow Out of Time either. However, um, I think there are... Um, what happened to the original? Okay, the cone, the cone, the cone. The folks. rugose cones. Yes. The rugose cones with the the two claws and the the horny arm and the head with many flowers on top. Um, are they on Yith? No, they're an Earth. They're an unknown Earth species. Yes, but they were they transferred to Yith uh, to basically lie there in in the death of Yith. Because that's the, the people, the brains, the original minds. You mean not that's the bodies. right. Mm. Yeah. That's right. The mind, but they're in the bodies of yeah. the of the slimy uh, destruction of Yith or what, I, whatever I the previous bodies the 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 librarians had. Yes, and yeah, and so yeah. I mean, the thing is, is uh, when I say they're not evil, I, I, I of course they are, but only in a sense that um, it, it, it's not personal. Right. Well, they're they're entitled, is what they are. They think yes. because they have all this information, they're more important than the people that they're displacing. That's exactly right. And but they act. The, the, there is no malice as far as much as there is um, necessity. Right. Uh, uh, from can their I, point may of view. I, real quickly, can I address what you're the the concept of evil that that comes up in this story? Yes. And reminds me of something from Macon. Okay. Um, from from the in in because it, it it's it's there's a line in the shadow out of time that that was really interesting because he points out you're talking about where the horror is and he points out how how incredibly horrific it is to see these creatures doing absolutely normal everyday right, things right, right and which is so funny because that is a horror that nobody who grew up after the advent of cartoons can even imagine. Right. Because we've seen teapots talk and clocks sing and, you know, cats have lunch, you know? And, and so it's, it's, we can't imagine how creepy that is to somebody from a pre-cartoon era. <laughs> but, but there's a, a line from the, um, the white people. You're, you're where, talking Arthur Mackin, right? Yeah, but I think it's Macon. That's what I was told. Okay. But yep. anyway, 
um, that he's in that the two guys, one guy says evil is not wickedness. It's not badness. Evil, true evil is something that you just can't even imagine. Like if you came home and your rose bushes were talking. Uh, that's uh, a strange definition of evil, but um, yeah. Uh, uh, the thing is, is you know they're 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 prisoners when it seems when they're back in the early Earth uh, in the Rugos yeah. tones, right? But this is called the library. <laughs> yeah, the the library of the Rugos c- cones. Um, but they also have airships. And submarines, and they allow their prisoners, you know, if they if they fulfill their duties, which is basically write down everything, you know, um, they allow them privileges, like you can spend time with the other prisoners, and you can go on these uh, intellectual adventures, right? Basically, where you get to visit like parts of the world. Inward bound. Yeah, there's, there's, it's interesting because I, I want, I wonder. So we get told a lot of stuff of what happens, but we don't get a lot of interpretation. So one of the things that happens is we find out what Nathan Peasley's doing in uh, the age before the dinosaurs when the ferns rule the earth, right? But we don't really understand, I don't think, what the, what is the alien occupying his body looking for. Is it just experience? When he goes to the the north and he can't get to the North Pole or wherever he's going, um, why is he so disappointed? Is it because he didn't get to the North Pole or was he looking for something specific? Because it seems like he's on a specific quest. Yeah, it always seems specific. They're they're not they're not sensationalists. Obviously, they've they're not they're not into you know just sheer excitement he's doing research all over the place and meeting with secret cults and things yeah and the secret cults were told get at least um they for helping out with the machinery and you know making things smooth they get access to a little bit of secret knowledge which is of course what secret cults are all about right <laughs> yeah, that's that's actually something that that struck me about this i mean these guys might be genocidal time destroying um freaks with uh, love of fascism but they do have a generous side um they uh, they keep sharing stuff with people you know the, the the people who get displaced to their library get a chance to explore and uh, and research yeah, the, I mean, they they back. only because yeah. they know they're going to wipe their minds when they send them back. <laughs> yeah, but they didn't have to do that. I mean, since this, yeah. is a, this is a horror writer, I mean, there there are far worse things that could be done. Uh, I, I, it reminds I, me I, a lot of um, maybe how we would treat animals like a species that we yes. want to study. We'd like we don't ask them, do you want to be tranquilized and That's dragged right. out of your wild and put into a cage? But we're going to do it because we're curious. And we want to maybe like make things nice for you. And here's your favorite treats. And this is kind of like you know you can feel comfortable here, while we poke you and take these readings. And it's like curiosity rules. Yeah, you get to play, you get a, a go for rides in the car and. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're like pets, kind of, but yes. scientific. And I guess if we could put our minds into another species, like a a wolf pack, like we would want to do everything they do. We'd want to go to their North Pole, or like why do they go this way, to this far distant part of the forest like i could imagine we'd just live like a wolf there, there. I consider that consider this though so so 
the 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 Ithian is projecting and swapping himself with the human. He eventually is going to come back, so he's going to want to he's going to want to have a body that's not been damaged or or hurt by having the human in it. So they're going to give the humans privileges and True. and uh, freedom freedom so that so that the human doesn't say try to commit suicide in the body because they mentioned that's Stop a bad thing. Himself. Yeah, mm-hmm. because he'd be st- because the Ith would be stuck in the human forever. Tattooing his face was something really embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> and you probably want the human to be like exercising your body and stuff so you're not yeah. just like lying around getting yep. like bed yep. sores. Yep, yeah, <laughs> eating right, exercise, you know, taking taking care of the body that this, you're in. This just makes it all even more horrible like, when I think of it like that. Like, <laughs> well, like mind swap from Red Dwarf. <laughs> yep, yep. I, I, I want to make One some. Oh, oh. oh, go for Sorry. it, Julie. Oh, um, I, I I noted just as the the smugness of the character as he points out that as he as he you know as he researches these mind gaps that have shown up throughout history that they always pick an exemplary intellectual <laughs> of the era. I I I I'm curious about that because I, I I'm not sure if he means the species or the individual because I think he means individual. Not the it's yeah. the individual because he's saying that they have aborted tries with lesser types, and in a way that kind of harkens back to um, uh, Beyond the Wall of Sleep, mm-hmm. with the the idea of a, a greater being trapped in a lesser intellect body. Mm. Julie, I yeah. love the way you Even uh, it's- part. Uh, you you really got the uh, preening down very very nicely. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to point out that, you know, the there are other stories that are similar to this in premise, and the Yithians are a lot um, nicer than those other folks. So the most famous one is probably um, Passengers by Robert uh, Silverberg, which is yeah. a terrific short story where we just see it from, you know, the person walking down the street and says suddenly occupied by an alien mind basically from yith we don't know you know maybe they're yithian kids because they they're kind of juvenile delinquents right going around doing horrible things with your body and not really caring about you know whether you like it or not and obviously you don't like it but uh they're you know you're committing crimes in your body and you're damaging your body and and it's embarrassing and you stink and uh, when you come out of one of these things, everybody just sort of says, "What can you do?" Right? They're they're treating us badly, like we're herd animals that are uh, being abused. And that that story is is pretty horrific. But there's one even worse, um, and it's an amazing story. Everyone should read. Um, it's on the PDF page, by the way. It's called The Roller Coaster. It's by Alfred Bester from May June 1953 uh, issue of Fantastic. And this is, um, it's actually told from the point of view of the occupiers coming into human bodies. And they use human life experience in 1950s and whenever they like, anywhere in the world, um, as basically uh, kind of a Westworld kill, uh, torture, sex device. So... They, oh, wow. they come into your body and then they they go around horribly ruining everyone's lives around them and you know getting getting their jollies from it 
uh, so it's it's strange to see you know when uh, when Lovecraft does it, his obsessions come to the fore. Not you know, and they're weird obsessions, right? You know, like it's all dreams and it's books and it's it's um, architecture, <laughs> architectural yeah. detail. Yeah, it's, it's why they seem so much nicer than normal right. thing. Like when you read any other story about being possessed or being controlled by something, it's always so hostile. And if you had to choose, like, yeah, I'd rather be possessed by a librarian who's just <laughs> really like just nerding out on all these interesting topics and science. And that sounds almost fun. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that's the thing is the bad part is you get your mind wiped, right? On the return journey. I know, that's, that's the annoying. I don't like that, but I'm, I want to take that out. <laughs> I'm guessing, that. though, do they wipe the minds to protect themselves or do they do it to stop people causing time paradoxes and right. um, messing with the timelines? Because you are hanging out with individuals from right across the the extensive timeline that Lovecraft and his circle mapped out from forgotten prehistory to the you know the end of the universe and it's kind of you could cause a lot of damage if you're talking <laughs> if you could remember all those conversations as the uh, as the uh, sff audio's resident world war one buff you know I, I saw the part about uh um you know the outbreak of the world war mm-hmm. right so so yeah what if you could just mention to people hey kaiser you're gonna lose this one oh okay no you know not do it <laughs> I'll break all of human history, you know. Yeah. In IMJ, yeah, but who believes you is the question. I mean, you'd have to really. I mean, it, it's yeah, it's 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 a lovely idea, but I mean, average Joe walks in, looks crazy, says that everybody goes, whatever. Well, maybe it depends on the. They're not the average Joe, right? They're the as as you said, they're the uh, most awesome people of all time. In in, in Rome, they're people of rank. They're quaestor. Um, and it depends, you know, on the society, uh, on how they treat ravens. I mean, uh, if, if they kidnapped a Kardashian, that would change <laughs> society. <laughs> that would be a very different sequel. I'm going to, I'm going to go back to the, uh, to the, the horror aspect of this. Um, I mean, the, uh, one of the things I love about this story is that it's such, it's such a Gothic tale. Um, you know, you have the, in, a classic part of Gothic is the architecture, the space that's haunted, the haunted house or the castle or whatever. And naturally, we have the Ithians build a haunted basement, um, and then they uh, make that available for for everybody. And the, usually in the Gothic, the basement is where you where you suppress that which you fear and dread, and perhaps secretly actually admire and want. Um, so we have that. But what's what's fascinating, you know, is that he's not. Lovecraft is usually not the typical gothic writer for all kinds of reasons. What he does here is he turns Earth's entire history into a gothic story. You know, we have literally a trapdoor beneath us waiting to spawn horrible, horrible monsters. And I find that that's a really, really neat way of Lovecraft taking the 19th century horror stories and racing ahead with them into cosmic horror. Like kind yeah. of cop- I, I want to point out some more connections. That I, not every story is in here, but uh, the thing on the doorstep—that's about the consciousness transference, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few others. Let's see. Um, Charles Dexter Ward. Oh, there you go. That's another. Yeah. I, I guess, and uh, the tomb. Uh, when it comes to that, right? Uh, which is one of my favorites, if not my favorite. Um, the Nameless City. Okay. 
this has that sequence of crawling through tunnels into the under earth and and mm-hmm. you know having discovered all these weird writings on the wall i mean he's literally literally crawling through and that goes right back to the beast in the cave which is also in is actually an adventure in this story right um he goes to virginia uh his body goes to virginia and goes through the uh, illimitable corridors of the under under caves isn't that yeah. it, it's like a it's a, a sort of a tour of of and of, of, i haven't even mentioned um the mountains of madness which this is another G, uh I, university I expedition that, that, well, to me the the things that are trapped deep underneath are to me totally resonate with the shockers sure yep I, I mean, you, you you could take a lot of Lovecraft stories and frame them with a, a Yithian writing a person as as a narrative device and go with it. It's like, okay, okay, so a Yith gets in, like, and the Yith wants to go visit the Shoggoths, and they, the boom, Lovecraftian story where you have it on two levels. You have the the lower level of the Shoggoths and the upper level of of it being a writer from Yith, and what does that all mean? You could do a lot with this. I'm surprised. I'm surprised that. Subsequent writers to Lovecraft haven't explored this idea more. Ah, that's what I was going to ask, actually, if there is more exploration to that idea. I don't, it's something I, don't know I feel like I want to read more about, like, characters in this world, or... Well, I'm not, I, like, into the fan fiction normally, but this one I was like, I would totally read. Professor Dyer is uh, in this. He's also in Mountains of Madness. Um, yeah right. Which uh, I, no. I I haven't well, read yet, and so he's it's it's looking like it's going to be coming down the pike. But there's a there is something. That's right. I I want to see if anybody else sees this. So I, I've been watching a lot of Doctor rewatching a lot of Doctor Who lately. Um, um I, haven't, I haven't got to the part where they're actually there yet. But when the Doctor goes to Gallifrey, one of the things that uh Gallifrey is where the Doctor's from. One of the things that I never really like, what do Gallifreyans do? It seems like they're Yithians, right? We don't see their endless libraries, but that must be what they're they're all about. They're about gathering knowledge from time and throughout time and space, and watching things but not interfering. Because the the one of the reasons why they hate the Doctor is because he does metal stuff, and he's not supposed to metal and. They, I mean, they kind of occasionally use him to meddle, but he's not supposed to. They're just supposed to watch and observe. I believe there's, because you just rewatched um, the. Um, I just um, started Seeds of Doom, so uh, you just started you Seeds of Doom, but you just you just recently watched um, Genesis of the Daleks, and at mm-hmm. the beginning, the Doctor's talking with the Time Lord, and the Time Lord's saying, "Oh, we don't go, we don't go meddling and stuff, but we're going to have you do it." That's right. And I, 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 my my assumption is that like, most Yithians are not doing what what the one that occupies Peasley d- does, it, or if they do, it's like their you know Mormon mission where they go out one time and they do it, and then they come back and then they spend the rest of the time I don't know reading and cataloging and and, yeah, and going it, on air balloons. Pa- uh, it's, for, it's a rite of passage. You 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 have you have your uh, one trip where you occupy a body in some other time. And you get information. You come back and then you. you Go ahead and return to being a uh, a researcher and 
cataloger and there must be yet into like do it again and again. Yeah. There must be yet into like, okay, time for me to go out again. Like where will I go this time? I will go near <laughs> fifty million AD. That'll be great. Yeah, we don't know enough about the slug people. <laughs> we, do, we don't we gotta know find out about how their relationship with the snail people is coming along. And, <laughs> but you know, and Mar- and Marissa, I had forgotten. I just, I just realized that the uh, protagonist in Cassandra Claus, two Neo Lovecraftian novellas, Hammers on Bone and uh, A Song for Quiet, uh, is the protagonist is actually a Yithian in a human body. Oh, really? That's investi- invest- investigating stuff. Yeah. Oh, I think I have that book. Okay, I better read it. Um, Hammers on Bone by Cassandra Claw. The, uh, the protagonist is a, is a human PI, but he's being yeah. written by, the, by a Yithian and oh, uh, investigating. Yeah, That's there's a, a comic story. book I, I just realized as well uh, called Weird Detective that I believe is the same story. Um, uh, he's occupied by – I hadn't read uh, this, this uh, sh- Shadow Out of Time since then. But, um, yeah, he's occupied by a Yithian. Uh, police detective, and he's investigating m- murders around the city. I mean, that's just a logical thing for Yithian to occupy. A detective, because the detective goes and finds out stuff, right. which is what Yithians are all about. It's it's a perfectly logical kind of person for a Yithian to inhabit. Yeah, I think Marissa would well, like that. Well, except that, except I would say that um, a, a crime, investigating a crime, is so local. Yeah, Unless but, but, it's a crime that would affect the Yithians, it wouldn't. It would be of, you know, maybe personal interest, but not of interest on the grand scale. I mean, the in in the idea, the theory at least, Peasley's writer, you know, went looking for cosmic horror information that actually supplemented the library, you know, as opposed to who killed, you know, the Black Dahlia, which isn't read in. Which isn't, which while fascinating to many people, isn't actually of any sort of time-spanning consequence. Yeah, so if you're I, investigating I, other Lovecraftian entities, that yeah, is yeah, that's interest. exactly what well, happens. That in, could be, yeah, yeah, but I mean, just it, it doesn't make a detective the logical choice the way a, a professor or somebody of academic credentials would be. Mm-hmm. But right. but the detective has basic skills, though, of researching. But they anything don't about... gain the skills of the person they ride. They start from scratch. What they, they want, body. though, is the position, right? So one of the, the access, things that, yeah. yeah. One of the things that happens in the story is is we find out, or he finds out, uh, Peasley does, that after it, everybody knows what amnesia is, he like drops the pretense of, oh, uh, I'm, I'm actually your husband. Right? It's like, forget about all that stuff. I got the access to his bank account, which means I have access to the equipment I need to get all around the world. And eventually he I love the undercooked conspiracy, uh, you know, the strange looking foreigner with the long fingers um, who shows up one night, uh, takes the machine away. And the next day he's he's back to normal. Right. (laughs) There is a hidden cult somewhere in in the city of Arkham, uh, probably all the cities around the world of people with special knowledge, right? That we, we need to be on the lookout. Uh, how do you, you see the you guy with the strange... You think that was He loved machines. Yeah, it could be. Could, well, uh, maybe Nyarlathotep is kind of a, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I We go, go too far down speculating, making connections, but... Um, <laughs> 
Can we well, there's back? the the crabs of the Maigo in uh, Whisper in the Darkness who right. aid them, right. and they're opposed to the cult of Haster and the cult of the Yellow Sign. Right. And you wonder, kind of, is the Yithians uh, a similar cult or one of the same cults, <laughs> or is there an overlap? Or are they more kind of just free agents, considering their kind of occasional wars with, say, other races in pre- prehistoric Earth? They're not particularly kind of a seemingly allied to any of like the um, the great old ones or, you know, the cosmic gods. They just generally do their own thing. In the, but the uh, whole talk of the cult reminds me of the Chambers story, the cult of the yellow sign with the mysterious coachman who turns up in the middle of the night right. and makes he's very cryptic and... Well, or you go back to the uh, repair of reputations, which has the um, the future America with eugenics and so on. Right. Yeah, it's true. Su- yes, suicide yeah. booths. Yeah. Mm. Right from Futurama. Yeah. But um, the uh, you, you mentioned one thing. If, if I could just come back to this for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a, a little touch of this. I mean, Lovecraft isn't exactly the world's greatest writer of family plots. Um, <laughs> he gets rid of the family pretty fast in here. But I, I'm 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 struck by this this little hint of a story about how he loses his family except for the one son. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a family drama buried, buried deep within this, within this story. I mean, the, uh, the, uh, the audio drama about the HP Lovecraft society does more with it because that's shorter and you can see more of it. And the son is going on the expedition with him to Australia, but here it's very, very much buried. So go ahead, go ahead and talk a little more about it. Well, I'm, I'm, on the one hand, I don't know what disturbs me more, either what must have happened for him to lose his wife and uh, some of the children, or what must have gone on in that son's mind for him to say, this is fascinating. You know, <laughs> yeah. My dad has become this alien sociopath. I want to learn more. I this mean, is totally <laughs> what was making me want to read more fiction in this story as well, because I, I really want the wife's story and the son's story. Like I was like, how weird to see your dad going through that and how is he behaving? That's yeah. more that body that's, snatches kind of story. And huh. that's where I'm saying this is this is such a personal story. I mean, this is all Lovecraft so deeply that it's it's insanely interesting because mm-hmm. right he's got he's got this uh, justified or not. We have stories about him, you know his mom saying that he was ugly and that other children shouldn't be around him because they they would. Uh, be horrified by his visage, <laughs> visage, um, and then we also have um, his own life. You know, he's got a wife who doesn't divorce him exactly, or, or he who wants to divorce him, but he d- apparently didn't sign the papers. Right? He has a surrogate child um, in in some of his uh, admirers who are turned out to be like 13 years old or something. It's like what? And he's he's obsessed with a library spending time in people's libraries and uh, and and you think about how the avatar of of peasley's occupier is kind of he he goes out and does all these things there's a poem by lovecraft called uh, a year off where he he talks about what if he had no unrestricted funds and uh, a whole year he could go to all these places around the world. It's a beautiful rhyming, uh, you know, adventure around the world. And yet he actually points out at the end that, you know, if you had a year to plan a year off to go, you could plan it. And then you actually don't even need to go and you still have the money. 
right? So there's there's the idea of of not having you know the restriction on you. Like he would he would love to travel, right? But he he was restricted by his funds. So he can go to Quebec or he can go to Florida, but he can't go to London and he can't go to Paris and he can't go to uh, the Antarctica. Middle East. Right. Hey, well, not- any of these places. And so this is but, his... Uh, his um, yeah. Sorry? He does go to New York. Sure. He, uh, but he he has this tension between the love of the home and uh, the desire to explore. And, and it's... It's fascinating the the dynamics that are going on in this, and how important dream is in this non-dreamland story. It really is a dreamland story if you think about how he spends all this time thinking about what his dreams mean and writing them down, and then sort of realizing that his dreams are not just dreams, but ra- rather they are memories of his time. This is very much, I mean. It's it's what Lovecraft stuff is all about. Is there's no I, I've never found any any writer who's obs, obsessed with his dreams and writing them down and, and figuring out what they mean and making them into stories as this guy. Oh, and I, I think where it, I think I think okay. Donald Trump's Twitter account is close. <laughs> <laughs> but I I'm sorry if, if, for for dwelling on this. I'm just I, I'm I'm just fascinated by 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 the horror of this. Listen to these, these handful of sentences. Um, from the moment of my strange waking, my wife had regarded me with extreme horror and loathing, vowing that I was some utter alien usurping the body of her husband, which is totally right. Mm-hmm. In 1910, she obtained a legal divorce, nor would, she, nor would she ever consent to see me, even after my return to normalcy in 1913. And that's it for the wife. Oh, yep. Can you imagine how terrified she must have been? <laughs> And also think that 1910, uh, getting a divorce was not easy. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's significant and, effort to do it. And it was a sign of social ruin and personal failure. Uh, like, oh, what happened? And then, and then it goes worse because these feelings were shared by my elder son and my small daughter, neither of whom I've ever seen since. You think, oh, my God, what, what lifetimes they had, right? You know, what happened to your father? Well, and then we get the creepier part, too. Only my second son, Wingate, seemed able to conquer the terror of repulsion which I changed aroused. He felt, indeed, that I was a stranger, but though only eight years old, held fast to a faith that my proper son would return. When it did, he sought me out, and of course gave me his custody. Whoa, 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 whoa. How did that happen? The eight-year-old yeah. sought him out. <laughs> yeah, how did this... How did this? Well, work? he was 13 by then. He was eight at the time, presumably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, thirteen-year-old, still, still a minor, and uh, and how does this? Did he leave his mother? Did his did his mother try and keep him away from his father? What was the? There's a whole novel in there. Mm-hmm. Just that. This is, I, again, this is one of the things that reminds me about Stapleton. Is that Stapleton, in his two great novels, just toss off book after book after book of ideas within paragraphs. Mm-hmm. You know, just, um, but this this is the. Uh, but because this is a story of cosmic horror, we have to race past it. I want to I want to point out that Wingate is essentially Lovecraft as well. Think of think of what happened to Lovecraft's dad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Goes mad, ends up in a mental institution. We're, oh yeah. We are True. seeing yeah. Wingate, who by the way is named after uh, the the mother's 
uh, last name, right? Maiden name. Maiden name, right? So Howard Phillips is the same story. The Phillips family uh, comes, you know, it, it's the way they incorporate it. So we've got Peasley, who's who's Lovecraft in a certain sense, and Wingate, who's Lovecraft in a certain sense. And what do we do? We get rid of the women. <laughs> Because they don't understand us, right? And you know, they're or they emotional. understand too much. Or they understand <laughs> too much. They're scary. That's they all are scary. But I, I want to point out the what what's so cool in the INJ Kubard adaptation, the comic book adaptation. Um, you see one interpretation of what that face looks like when he comes out of the the stroke or whatever's happening to him in the in the lecture hall. He's got this look on his face, like there's basically drool coming out of his mouth, and his eyes are crossed or something like that, right? So the the way it's described in the book, he says, I had the most strange expression or something like that, right? Maybe a little more extreme than that. Um, a striking <laughs> face. Um, seeing, seeing that on the face of uh, your parent is traumatizing. I can tell you from... My own personal experience, my father got cancer and he's high on uh, morphine because he's dying. And I'm like, no, he's not dying. He's staying alive. Um, and he's saying all these weird things because he's fucking in a dream state. That traumatized the shit out of me. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. what the fuck is going on? Uh, about Wingate's age, right? Oh, God, yeah. It was, it was, it was like, what the fuck's going on? And uh, this is this is the kind of thing that if you're the if you're the wife and you're seeing this to happen to your husband and he's pretending to be uh, you know they, they do a great job with this in the HPLHS uh, uh, adaptation where he pronounces her name Alice <laughs> right oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like wow um, she is wearing beautiful clothing vestments vestments yes. <laughs> who is the president don't know um, oh, it's so good. I could watch a a, a good movie. Yeah, stories. It's 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 pretty amazing, and I uh, I think this is it. I, I'm not sure about the ending of this. Uh, I I think the ending of this is almost comical. What do you guys think about the ending? Well, I find it's kind of he introduces the the polypus invisible horror race. Mm-hmm. It almost like he gets right. I'm writing a story about. Aliens who swap minds, and then his imagination gets going. They're the ultimate scholars, and uh, it'd be quite cool to hang out at Fanatos at the dawn of time. <laughs> and then it's kind of oh, Christ, I'm writing a horror story. You put the villain in, and you have this extended kind of you know descent into the cellar, as it were, at the end. And it kind of oh. we all can see where it's going. I think. I mean, partly, I think it's one of those sort of twist endings has been done to death by you know a thousand Twilight Zone imitators. But for me, it's kind of it's the weakest part of the story. It's almost like feels a bit tacked on of kind of oh, I've got to put a, a shock at the end. But it's not. It doesn't have the punch of the same sort of the shadow over Innsmouth, where mm-hmm. the narrator go so actually accepts I'm a deep one. It's going to be fantastic, yep. <laughs> which is you know it's a, that's a real kind of like you know Inception level twist of kind of spin everything you think. This is more kind of oh yeah, it was him and it all it was real. Yeah, we already knew that. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like well, it's, well, I, I accepted that quite early into the book. Yeah, it's almost like it's not the end. It's like there's something, there's more of the story missing. 
But he's, like, now what happens? He's horrified. I'm going to read the last paragraph. It's it's three sentences. No eye had seen, no hand had touched that book since the advent of man on the, on this planet. And yet, when I flashed my torch upon it in that frightened abyss, I saw the queerly pigmented letters of the brittle, eon-brown cellulose pages were not indeed any nameless hieroglyphs of Earth's youth. They were instead the letters of our familiar alphabet, spelling out the words of the English language in my own handwriting. It's like, <laughs> well, wait a second. You don't have a hand. You have like a, uh, you know, like a in your tentacle writing. Tentacle. <laughs> so okay, maybe you have some, but uh, that almost undercuts. It makes me think that like, no, this guy's he's deluded. But uh, there's so much evidence that he's not deluded, uh, at least within the internal text of this this. Uh, letter to his son is that who's it being written to is it to his son okay yeah this massive letter man it's lovecraft sized letter that's a long boat trip (laughs) (laughs) it's it's a very long boat trip but it's also um you know again i think about uh stapledon i think about uh star maker which begins with uh the narrator having an argument with his wife and it ends with him going back to her I mean, that's the frame of the entire cosmic book. Um, and here, you know, this begins with him basically leaving his family, and it ends with him focused on his own handwriting, which he is now turning over to mm. the son that he uh, still has contact with. Yeah, it's, it's, and, it's, but he's abandoning his son too, right? His final son. He's abandoning him. Uh, is he going to kill himself? Is that what's going on? Because it sounds very endy, you know, like... I'm never going to see you again, sort of thing. Well, I think he was. It, I got the impression he was just fleeing. He just had to get out of there, and he couldn't convince them to come with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just had to. He just got to escape the, the 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 horror that yes, everything he's imagined really actually did happen. That's that's the. That's the needle in the brain of the story. That I mean, I mean, because he goes back and forth on wondering whether he could imagine all this, dreamed all this, thought this all up in his in his mind. But no, coming face to face with that book, nope, it was all real. That's the horror of the story. Right, but it's it's also, you know, it reminds me of say Frankenstein, which uh, is this interesting plot about a man who wants to reinvent reproduction in a way that doesn't involve women. <laughs> and here we've got uh, something similar, you know, just cutting out the whole world down to this one this one relationship. And then it, it goes back to what what either Marissa or Julia was saying, Julia was saying about the, uh, the, uh, the collapse of this whole possibility into the library. It keeps coming back to that text and to the writing and the reading. And that's that's it. That's what happens to this, this mind of this future. It's a, in some ways, it's it's not quite suicide, but it is a form of self mutilation. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, it is certainly a giving up of everything you've been looking for. Yeah. No, no, this, this, you know, he's worked so hard to get to this point, and then it's like, oops, whoop, bad idea. Ah! <laughs> Australia, man, that'll teach you. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, it, it, it's funny that he uses Australia because, I mean, some of the oldest life forms and rocks found 
on Earth are in Western Australia, so he kind of picked pretty well for that. I want the biggest spiders. I want to ask who who uh, here has read the the at the mountains of madness and. Um, am I wrong in thinking that the uh, star-headed vegetable carnivores of Antarctica are are actually pretty nice folks, based on the one we meet in the... <laughs> He's a prisoner like uh, our fellow Peasley back in the Ithian uh, occupation? I, I'm quite taken with them myself, but I can't support that with anything but... But, uh, you know, people are like, oh, well, they, they did horrible things. I'm like, yeah, that's the point. So did we. They were comparing that. Yeah. So, I, I well, mean, there's uh, a line uh, in it where Lovecraft says, yeah, they might have been aliens, but my God, they were men. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly. a, th- There's a mm-hmm. lot of, like, amazing, interesting generosity to, you know, people's people, no matter what kind of body you got. Um, Especially when you start taking that and holding it up against all the the racism arguments. I agree. It, it's it's striking. I mean, I saw I, I saw somebody pointing out, you know, all the discrepancies. If you just buy into the he's a he's a racist, he's a racist, he's a racist over and over again. All the discrepancies, you know, or you know, how many gay friends he has. It it's very it's a very kind of. Um, is intellectual, scholarly, um, silly. Uh, one of the points somebody pointed, yeah, it was basically he's more of a he hates foreigners more than he hates uh, anything it, else. But foreigners are anybody I've, he hasn't I've, met, basically. <laughs> to, to me, it feels like fear. It's fear of the unknown, and sure. once something becomes known then it doesn't frighten him as much. And it's just that he's been raised so isolated from everything that he doesn't know it. He's He is literally the outsider, right? It, it, that story is so important, I think, because he, he sees in the books that people are happy and having fun. He sees the pictures. He reads about their lives. They're, you know, out having a picnic. And he goes... He goes out there, I want to be with them! I don't like this place! I love these books, but... There's got to be a little more. I, I need to go for a night walk, right? And, and there literally is a night walk in here um, where he walks around in, in the dark of Australia to clear his mind, something Lovecraft <laughs> is famous for. Um, and then he sees people inside, in the, in the outsider, right? Having fun, a gay party, right? In a familiar building. And when he goes in, he's, he's rejected, right? He is the horror, this is very, very interesting that he be, he's a professor of economy who becomes a professor of psychology, right? It's not accident. Well, economy moved on. He did point that out. That the economy studies had changed since he was subsumed. Right, right. and he and uh, he's he's behind, which is which is true. I mean, the, it was economics was developing really, really fast at the time. I just I, I I think you know he could have been a professor of literature, and he wasn't right. That would always be a, a sign of bad character. Go ahead. May I interject just really quickly? I want to put a plug in because I really love um, just as a darkest of the hillside thickets did a concept album called The Shadow Out of Tim, <laughs> and it's really good. But they made him a marine biologist huh. um, because it fit the meter of one of the songs. 
And um, <laughs> I don't know if that's why, but it's it's really, really quite good. And, and it goes through this whole story in one form or another, basically. And um, oh. it, it's... I I really enjoy it. If you if you, it's on Amazon and Darkest of the Hillside Thickets, they they went from being kind of very punky, but this this one is this album is a lot more cohesive. But the songs are really catchy. Oh, I don't know these guys at all, but I love them already. <laughs> oh yeah, no, they go on stage dressed like with Mygo brain canisters and stuff on their heads. <laughs> yeah. Well, they have a they have an album dedicated to uh, to Lucio Fulci. Oh, good choices. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah don't definitely check them out. I wanted to make sure to plug them because I love Tim particularly. I wonder. I wonder. Can we come back to the dreams of Yith, uh, Mr. Jim Moon? I made you narrate this for me. <laughs> I, want, I want you to. No, no, you didn't make. You suggested. And I, I suggested, but I'm reading that. <laughs> I I really I want to know like. Okay, so there is no Sotho in the in the story, as far as I can tell. But there is a Nugsoth, which is not probably related. He's a ma- uh, magician of the Dark Conquerors of 16,000 AD. So apparently we're going to get magicians back at some point. Um, <laughs> what what did you make of the Dreams of Yeth? Because I, I hadn't... I, it was in my book. I just didn't know it was there because it was in the wrong section. It wasn't in the... It was filed in, you know, revisions or something. Um... What did you make of this? Well, it reminded me of kind of a, a pocket-sized version of his own sonnet cycle, in a way. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. Fungi from Yugoth. And there's a lot of kind of that sort of, you know, uh, high weird poetry, as I think of it, where you know, you're just getting these almost like micro short stories in each, every verse and a very kind of um, panoramic and uh, sort of picaresque sort of first structure of taking from, you know, difference, you know, scene to scene that may or or may not be related. Uh, it also reminded me quite a lot of um, some Ramsey Campbell's uh, early mythos stories. Um, there's several there where um, uh, he has a god, Iheart, who, who gives people visions. And it's uh, before the storm, a man who's been injected, made the bargain with Eheart which gives him these visions. He has visions of Yugoth and Tond and uh, all these other sort of far-off places in the Mythos universe. And a lot of the sort of weirdness in Dreams of Yith are very like sort of the Campbellian sort of weirdness of um, the sort of obviously sort of Lovecraftian. You've got tentacled monsters and Cyclopean ruins, but you've got this strong dose of sort of surrealism. Uh, in mm. particular, there's a verse in Dream Yith where, you know, one of the things is this giant rolling head, which I particularly like. Right. I was like, <laughs> yeah. what the hell? Is that the same thing as I... No, I don't... So it, it, it seems like they, they are connected. They're not completely separated because it says around that place, right? So it's presumably the place that was just mentioned in the previous section. Uh, we get we get sort of a progression of imagery. It, it is a landscape description. But there, you know, the the lidded bulbs close heavily once more. Um, it, are those the Yithian bodies waiting for? Like, there's there's somebody guarding. There's Sothos playing, and the I think it's the third stanza. Yeah, this is the. Uh, I guess there's stanzas. Uh, beside that city, once lived there wound a stream of putrefaction writhing black 
That's nice. Reflecting crumbling spires stuck in the ground that glow through hovering mist whence no stray track can lead to those dead gates where once was found the secret that would bring the dwellers back. And still the pitch black current eddies by those silver gates. And I know the silver gates of Yith to seabeds dry. So is Yith the city? Is it the planet? And are we seeing, are we seeing in those, those machines in here, are the secret that would bring the dwellers back? Is that the mechanisms that are left behind because nobody on Yith can operate them when they transferred to the Rugos uh, creatures of Earth? Is that what like I'm trying to I'm trying I was trying to figure out exactly what's going on in this poem and I, I don't have it exactly but it seems almost like a mirror of what we're seeing in the on Earth I think this is another planet though right Yeah I'm pretty sure it's another planet <clears throat> Yeah so the glowing dome whether that's um, kind of a, a the Ethereum machinery or a more generalized sort of you know Lovecraftian key you know like the book at the start mm-hmm. of the the, the fungi sonnet cycle is, you know, the, at last the key is mine that will, you know, it'll, you know open the star-strung way, you know, to yeah. elder years and push all the angles back, and, right? mm. unseal the lid. It's almost like a we've got the polyps on Earth. It's almost like no matter where they go, they have to do this repression, right? And Sotho, whoever Sotho is, they fled for Sotho had no human face. Well, duh, he's. It's not, but what does human mean, right? Uh, so apparently it's not human. It's, uh, yeah, there rolled an eyeless, eyeless huge and bloated head. So, so there's a head rolling down the, the streets, protecting the city of Yith from something. I don't, I don't know what's going on, but it's, it's striking imagery, incredibly striking imagery. Sotho is particularly opaque because in Cthulhu Mythos fiction, names with Soth in it are kind of like the human equivalent of names like Smith, really. (laughs) You know, they're everywhere in Conan, they're in Clark Ashton Smith, they're in Lovecraft in various places. And it's, I mean, I wonder is Sotho something that's being caged by the great race as Mm. much as they sort of imprisoned the. um, the invisible whistling horrors in prehistoric earth and mm-hmm. is you know well now they've left he's left to his own devices to try and break his bonds and there, in in this ninth stanza it seems like there's um carrion eaters flying above the city and in so it says um high in the even skies on scaly wings dread bat-like beasts soar past those t- towers gray to peer in greedy longing at the things which sprawl in every twisted passageway it's like the the, the beasts the beings of yith that now have had consciousness transferred into them lay on the ground there uh waiting to be eaten by the creatures above and are being protected uh, and that, and then, and when the gruesome there's also flight, bat-winged beings in the prehistoric Earth as well. Yes, it's, it's a strange it's, snouted winged folk in their little villages outside the elder, um, the great with great races cities. It's it's very interesting. And it's never elaborated on. It, it, it could be that 
it's set on Earth. It, it, and it's... I, I just wonder who's doing the dreaming, right? The dreams of Yith. Is it Dwayne W. Rimmel? Is it H.P. Lovecraft in collaboration? Or is it um, Peasley uh, doing a double double dream? I don't know what's going on. I really dig this poem, though. I, I don't know what it means, but I really dig it. Because, because this, this poem distills kind of that that lovely imagery that we get when we talk about him delving delving into the ruins or the stuff in the past i mean that's that's what really i really like the, the i mean the, the, the cosmic horror the stuff doesn't really throw me it's the imagery of what life is like back 150 million years ago what's it like to go into these ancient ruins and see these things i mean i tweeted that photo at you and marissa of mm. of, of of the the blocky uh quote unquote ruins of Interstate State Park, which is basically the remnants of stuff from a glacial meltwater flood, and just like these these ten thousand year old blocks are scattered around and archways, and it looks very Yithian in its architecture. And I enjoy that sort of vision of places that my physical body can't ever reach. Yeah, and with all the gardens and stuff as well. Like I love that they have gardens <laughs> yeah wouldn't you like to go the there and see it yeah. all I, I could take my camera because <laughs> my you, camera can't travel time i could only see it with my own eyes yeah and you wouldn't even feel like that out of, like out of place because they have like uh they have tables and pens yep. and <laughs> notebooks they, and standing <laughs> desks they don't they don't sit but oh standing, standing desks. desks that's yeah. true <laughs> <laughs> i love all their technology i love that they have all that like even with the when they transport their minds like i love that it's not just done through some kind of weird magic like they have to have that weird mechanical contraption with some mirrors whatever it is rods and yeah <laughs> rods and mirrors and they're uh con the con concave no convex mirrors that's important oh yeah Although it's funny to me that they haven't invented the keyboard since that would <laughs> negate the, end of the story yeah <laughs> Well, they they have uh, maybe click because uh, all their conversations are with clicks, right? So they have the the two handed uh, claw clicking. So you say, hey, hey, how are you doing? How's that book coming? Oh, it's pretty good. <laughs> click 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 click. Um, that almost sounds like it could be a horror, a horror, right? You know, all this constant there, clicking. There is there is one other part of this that I, I wanted to mention, which mm-hmm. I mean, rereading this gave me links to all kinds of other authors. I don't think we've mentioned. Uh, Lindsay's Voyage to Arcturus. No, uh, we haven't. Oh, gosh, yeah. yeah. And We've like, done that on the show. Yeah, yeah. It's an extraordinary book. And and part of it, you get that sense of, you know, voyaging to a different planet and so on. Um, but it's the senses part that really interested mm-hmm. me. We get this, where are we in the story? Um, the beings had but two of the senses which we recognize, sight and hearing, but of other and incomprehensible senses, they possessed many. Not, however, well utilizable by alien captive minds inhabiting their bodies. I was remembering just the uh, in, in Lindsay how the uh, you know they develop these new senses and fields which he tries to describe, which is mm-hmm. pretty and kind of kind of unusual in science fiction. Uh, I was struck by how um, how the senses kept coming up here. How they only had what was it sight and sound, but mm-hmm. nothing else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then this uh, you know this this huge glimpse again and one of those other you know books contained within a single sentence other incomprehensible senses they possess many so you know way more than five they can um, grok stuff 
I wonder. Well, I wonder if that limitation. You know, they they can't smell. They, I mean, smell is kind of, and taste. These are kind of of the body. You know, they're not they're not uh, intellectual. They're more primal. Um, you need your eyes so you can read books. You can uh, need you need your ears so you can hear uh, people reading poetry aloud. But you, yeah, you know, but you can't. You you don't really like. You don't want to smell smell seeds and <laughs> swamps and uh, you know you don't want to taste all that. It's too um, it's too close. It's not intellectual enough, right? Um, back, back to the Puritans again. Right? I think yeah. that uh, there's something to that. And and the, also, also notice they're all they, they all look like they're wearing dresses too. Yeah. Right. <laughs> also, scent, smell, and taste. It, it it in in association with being like you say, sort of low and body like. They're also very much pleasure senses. Right. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like the enjoying of eating. Right. Everyone. Yeah. It, uh, you know, when my grandmother's demented. <laughs> You know, one thing you can do is you bring her some chocolate and she gets a smile on her face, right? Everybody can have this experience. It's not, it's it, babies, you know, put a little honey on their tongue, they're super happy. Um, it's, it, there's not no intellectual part of it, right? It's just basic animal. Well, it's also, it's also harder to write about the senses <laughs> than it is to write about sight. And since this is a, a, a utopia dystopia based on reading and writing, kind of not some fun. This all makes me wonder now. So when the Ithian uh, took over the body of the professor, how did how did the Ithian react to being able to taste things? I mean, did, did, did the Ithian only eat bland food because, like, I don't want to taste something spicy or 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 hot. I just want a bland food, so I'll just eat mashed potatoes and. And half cooked steak all day. So it's kind of like, <laughs> well, or what if what if the Ithian is a uh, is a secret pervert and wants to try everything? Oh yeah, it's mm. like oh we I'm gonna try every cuisine. Curry. Oh no wonder his wife left him. He was probably just like acting like <laughs> such an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so while the Ithian's like hanging out with black magic occultists, explain a lot. Yeah, yeah it would he, he would be the ideal <laughs> consumer for British food. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Brown sauce and everything. That's right. Boil, boil it, man. Boil it. It's the only way to prepare food. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm still struck with this, by this story. I mean, I've read this. Oh, I can't think how many times now. Uh, never taught it. Uh, haven't written about it. But um, it just, it's such a strange story in so many ways. I mean, it, it's, it's almost plotless at times. It's got that kind of Neil Stephenson world-building yeah. info dump instead of dialogue or plot for a while. Um, yeah, it's like a mystery at a distance. Like it's it kinda, is. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. It's not my favorite, but it, I really like it, and I think it's because he's he is working so many themes. Um, it feels it feels like a sort of at the center of all. It really it 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 has the cosmic depth right of time and space, but it also has the dream the importance of the the inner world and the, the love of travel and and i, I was struck I, I assume you guys were all struck by this too i don't know if you noticed it but you you must have felt it that when he when peasley returns to his body 
he has this story to tell of how he found out all the information that he has now as he's writing this. And basically, he reconstructs the journeys of his occupier. He does all the things again that he did, that his physical body did. He goes to all the places. I mean, we don't see him on those those uh, ships, right? But he, he visits all the libraries and tries to track down all the information. Like, what the hell was I doing? Yeah, he's reliving his life in a certain sense. That's why it's cool in that radio drama where you get to see a little bit of that right interaction and stuff with the in Sweden. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. That's a great scene. Mm. Well, friends, I'm I'm out of time. Uh, I need to log off and uh, try and beat on my network some more. Um, but this was well, it's working this, a lot better now. Yeah, well, I've I've done things. Um, <laughs> things you're not proud of <laughs> um, um, but but thank you thank you all this was a real treat and uh, and and julie again uh, all best from two fans oh thank you so much <laughs> i'm i'm hoping to you know get some more i've 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 got some more lovecraft coming down the pike eventually it's all hung up on how much time i have to mix yeah, you right. never did an audio drama of, of this, did you? I did not, and this isn't quite on my radar yet. Um, I have an adaptation of The Dreams in the Witch House that's already completed as a script, and I need to do that one. And mm. then my next one that I'm planning is Innsmouth. Oh. Should be and that would be a big one like Dunwich was. Nice. Well, yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure. I'm not sure what uh, in the different adaptations. I think HBLHS is really good. The INJ Colbard is really good. I like that uh, 1972 uh, Skull Comics adaptation as well, because it had the aliens were a lot cuter, <laughs> <laughs> or the Ithians were very cute, and uh, they were the best part about that that adaptation. There's there's one other adaptation, but I I, I think. The uh, idea to have it the ship's doctor in the HPLHS was very good. It was a good idea because this is a very static document, right? It's a guy sitting on a boat, probably pen in hand rather than typewriter, um, uh. writing a giant letter to his son. And that is <laughs> it's not much of an audio drama. It has to have yeah. some sort of action. I, I've got some really interesting ideas popping around in my head for different ways to do things. But, um, but yeah, this one's still sort of percolating away. I, I'm going to mess people up with Innsmouth. Good. <laughs> I like to be messed. Well, I hate to say it, but, you know, the, the actual, the, the really horrific part of Innsmouth is totally ignored. And that's just, you know, me being the person who tells the story from the women's point of view. Ah. Which, of course, is so anti-Lovecraft, but still. <laughs> and and I still also have plans for another Lovecraft 5 with, um, probably the next one will be the, uh, well, the next one is Red Hook, and then the next one after that is the music of Eric Zahn. That's the is that is not the shortest, but it's one of the shortest stories. I wonder well, which one. Uh, Eric Zahn. 
Is it? It always strikes me as being very long. It's long for the material. I think it's just uh, it's not very many pages. Outsiders super well, short. Well, that's why that's why it's suitable to the the Lovecraft Five because I can bring in a lot of supplementary information about the era and the attitudes and things. And Red Hook is going to give me a chance to have that little discussion about racism. Uh, Eric's on six pages long in uh, a couple Does of it a, really? Yeah. In the original God Weird Tales. It and, feels um, like it lasts for an eternity to me. It's not, <laughs> sorry. It's got, I, it's got a lot of uh, street walking. But you know it's... Uh, yeah. But it's uh, it's based on one of the two Yithian senses, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. Uh, recorder's on. Yes, it is. <clears throat> and I'm going to bring up the Wikipedia entry because I haven't done any research or read the book. Um, shadow <laughs> out of time. <laughs> wow, you are out of uh, position here, Jesse. <laughs> well, you know, I yeah, save for the podcast. I, I don't like I don't like H.P. Lovecraft at all. So <laughs> <laughs> you hate Bill Pay Dick even more. Yeah, I, I just don't care for him. It's not that I hate him. It's, you know, it doesn't do anything for me, so. All right, here we go.